Chartoff, your host of Film Wax. It's Friday, March 31st. This is episode uh, 750-something. or get 758. I think you're right. 758. Thank you. See? The master of information. Uh, Very much so. <laughs> How are you guys, Matt, Jen? Good. Pretty yeah. good. Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this is, a, you know, uh, this is a film show. And there's, you know... Plenty of of other types of shows out there, but it would be kind of bizarre because considering this is happening live on March thirty first, two thousand twenty three, hours after the indictment was mm. announced, I got at least recognize that this enormous thing happened at yesterday afternoon, and so I'm just wondering what if it, what you guys are what's what's kind of percolating in your heads about this well it's indictment week it's yes. indictment week. It's pretty exciting we've been waiting for this for a long time and yeah, uh yeah. here we are i'm i'm just really happy to see that there's finally some level of accountability yeah a little bit yeah if it didn't get much further than this at least there's this fair as, as sad as anybody else of course in the world would be you know serving uh hard time a long you know long sentence or doing hard times at leavenworth or something like that yeah, I you mean, know. we have several more indictments to come. So. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, but this really now, now, now it's right, and now it just feels like a real thing as opposed to something abstract, and it's 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 a bit shocking on some level too, you know. Anyway, I had a good week, and it's always good to be back here in the Nook. We're we're trying to figure out a name here for this the back room here. The, well, the Andy's. Ostroich calls it the back room. Do you have any other names yet? I forget. Norm the calls it the Nook. The Nook? Oh, he calls it the... Yeah. Damn you, Norm Magnuson. <laughs> You're going to have to think of something like the cubby up. hole. The cubby. <laughs> I came up with that. What do you think? Well, wait, wait. I can't ask you yet. I'll, I'll ask you... I'll ask our guest in a moment what... Uh, our what mystery maybe, guest? Our mystery guest. That's... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very... I know I'm very excited about this mystery guest, actually, because it's not a mystery to me. It's a mystery to those out there. Uh, anyway, um, so, but, uh, so I was, you know, what, let's see, was Dana, 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 Dana Poland, Dana, Dana. Dana Poland, professor at NYU, who, who my guests may know, uh, and he was telling me that, uh, only a few blocks away here in Rhinecliff, only just seconds away from where we're sitting right now, that the widow, and I hate that term, but the, the, the wife of the great Hollywood director, Nicholas Ray lived just just nearby, and I was like, really? Because he is, is honestly, he's always been one of my favorite filmmakers. And I, I, I mean, the first film definitely I saw of his was definitely Rebel Without a Cause, his most probably most famous work. But I'm a fan of like most of. Uh, I mean, there's several other films that I really love, and I loved the film Nor, and I just. What do you look? Okay, so I, I can see already we're going to get into a conversation, but. Uh, and so I grabbed uh, the opportunity immediately. I, I got the got the Susan Ray's phone number, and I texted her, and she uh, got right back and was open and lovely and uh, 
I really appreciated that. So um, if you don't mind, I think we'll just we'll just introduce the guest this week. Uh, cue up the theme music. <laughs> cue up the theme music. Let's get let's back in here. Give, oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. You can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. <laughs> All right, knock it off. Good enough. Good enough. <laughs> Susan Ray, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Susan. I was enjoying being a mystery guest. <laughs> Most of my guests say that for some reason. Yeah, we're going to just make sure your mic is so everybody can hear you. Yeah. Uh, most people say they'd remain, would prefer to remain in the witness protection plan that uh, in the podcast <laughs> sphere. No, it's really nice to meet you. We just met moments ago in person. We've been communicating through the phone, through through text, text, and also we got on the phone, didn't we? I For a few minutes, I think I, th I think we did. <laughs> but anyway, it's really great to meet you in person. And now, when I mentioned film noirs that he made early on... Oh, film noir, okay. Oh, noir, pardon. No, no, I thought you were referring to a film called Nora. Oh, okay. Did he, but he didn't make it. No, he didn't. That's why my eyes went up. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm, there's. let me just tell you right now, there will be mistakes made. There's no doubt about it. I'm I will sure make, I'll make, make it, it most of them. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll have a contest. But I, I don't have anything in front of me here, no notes, no nothing. But I did, and I caught up with a couple more that I had not seen. And I just, you know, it just, the, some of the early films, just not to, we're going to talk about also your work, which is uh, you you are um, responsible for having founded the Nicholas Ray Foundation. Right. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I did want to just mention a few, since I had already brought up in the intro, I, you know, his work early on, not surprisingly, he hadn't come into his own in terms of like the kind of projects that he was going to determine, because I assume at the beginning of his Hollywood career, he was a, a director for hire. He was part of the studio system, right? Essentially. And they, they told him, here's your next project. He was all always pretty much a director for hire. And... Yeah. But did he have much say in the projects he chose initially or he kind of had to take? I mean, he got really lucky really quick, I have to say. To the best of my understanding, mm -hmm. his producer on his first film, They Live by Night... What a wonderful film. ...spoke about how Nick was on the set like someone who knew exactly what he wanted. Really? Yeah. So where did that come from? That confidence, that <clears throat> self-assurance... Because that's the big one of the biggest, I would guess, characteristics of a successful filmmaker. You go in there, and people want to feel like you're you t you know they can lean on this person that they're taking charge, male or female, that they are in charge. They know what they have a vision, and uh, they can say what they want from the actors. Well, I think it it takes more than confidence. His confidence came from a pretty rigorous apprenticeship mm -hmm. um, in theater in mm, right with frank lloyd wright that's right um right and um i'm trying to think of what else a lot of parenting i don't know and that wasn't his strong suit <laughs> well no his, the, the parenting he got i'm thinking i don't know sometimes that also contributes to it was not an easy childhood no. Yeah. Um, there was alcoholism in the in the family. Sure. Um, he worked bloody hard, and 
he he has been described i i i have a bunch of recordings of his earlier colleagues and they describe him as somebody who was always doing the shit work he was carrying the doing the heavy lifting he was um he was humble that way in some ways he was not but he he cared about his craft and he mm-hmm. gave himself to it completely yeah does it, or is it when you say that do you mean like no job was too great or too small he wasn't above doing whatever needed to get done yeah right and so which maybe other directors would feel no i'm not doing that I, i'm, I'm a, the director and i should only be you know sitting in the director's chair and you know, or in now, and they have a. Well, it's one of the ways you learn mm-hmm. the craft. That's right. For one thing, sure. Um, he would say that a, a director needs to know how to do every job on the set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned, and so we'll take a baby step backward. The Frank Lloyd Wright work, because so Nick, can I, I can I call him Nick? Everybody calls him Nick. Nick. Uh, oh well. I thought I had a special relationship with him, but that's okay. I'll get over it. He started off wanting to be a, a, an architect or engineer or designer. No, he wanted to be in theater. Okay, and and then moved to films. His film was evolving. So how did how did he get mixed up with Frank Lloyd Wright for Pete's sake? He, um, his father was a builder. Okay, he grew up in Illinois, mm-hmm. um, and he. I can't remember how he first encountered Wright, mm-hmm. but excuse me. Sure, no problem. He had a correspondence with him, and mm-hmm. he arranged for lectures for him. And um, then, when Wright started Taliesin, yeah, he yeah, yeah. went to Taliesin as an an apprentice in theater. Wow, that's remarkable. Like the, he's sort of this. Uh, I don't know if it was. Uh, serendipity or what i mean he seemed to have all these breaks almost handed to him he had a lot of talent yeah he had a lot of talent and he worked really hard that's fair that's fair yeah i mean for those listening uh check out anything you can get your hands on i mean this guy made some incredible films now with frank lloyd wright though they fell out or he got fired is that what happened if i remember oh the apprentice got tired of being in The Apprentice. I get it. I think. He had visions for his future. He had ideas. He bigger had than, ideas. Bigger, bigger, bigger ideas. Let me ask you, why do you yeah. like, what are the qualities in Nick's films that you care about, oh. that move you? Look at that. She's turned the tables. Now the, the interviewer is the interviewed or interviewee. Well, that's a good question. And I will say, I think it's the humanity in it, in the films. First of all, he got some amazing performances out of Bogart. I think, you know, I think that was a great pairing. I wish they had done more films together. They did, I think, just two, mm-hmm. right? But those two films are, are so wonderful. Knock on any door and they drive by night. Did I get it right? No, they're not. They're, no, uh, I'm conflating the titles. It's, uh, look it up. I, I'm sorry. In a Lonely Place. In a Lonely Place. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I, I, I'm not normally, I don't say things like that, but I'm like, so pride myself on not having notes in front of me, which is just dumb. Yeah, those two films are outstanding, and everybody should see those two. Bogart is fantastic. But I, to get, get back to your question, I just think he wanted to get into people's fiber and expose the the uh, the, the the good and the bad and the the beautiful and the ugly and all of it. I mean, he just 
you know, you could see it as time went on. The the actors he worked with, I mean, you know, James Dean, obviously limited career, but the, the performance he got at it, and, and Natalie Wood, so raw, even though it's a polished Hollywood film on some level. But the performances really, he really, I think they really felt comfortable with him. That's my guess. I'm just guessing. I'm riffing here. And then it comes all to, you see it in the end of his, the end, the, the later years when he's, when you met him, right? Because you met him at, uh, at, uh, um, at the Binghamton, right? No, I met him at the Chicago conspiracy oh. trial. Oh, you did? So wait, were you not part of the, you were not a student of his? No? Okay. So I got some misinformation. That's good to know. So why don't I ask, put it in the form of a question. How did you meet him? <laughs> Tell me a little bit of the background of that. And then we'll come back to some of his, more of his film work and your work in the foundation. I was a first year student at the University of Chicago. Okay. What years are we talking? Uh, roughly. You don't have to give away. 1969, 70. So this is before Binghamton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I had worked before for a man named Jason Epstein, was an editor at Random House and founded the New New York Review of Books. And um, he asked me to do some research for him at the trial. So he got me a pass, a press pass. And mm-hmm. I found the trial much more interesting than going to school. Yeah, I bet. And, it's uh, real life. And Nick was yeah. um, making a film about the trial. Oh, okay. And uh, we were introduced initially by Bill Kunstler, who was... Sure, I know him. I knew him. <laughs> His daughters, Sarah and uh, Emily, went to my summer camp with who and Jen did too, coincidentally. Oh, wow. I was a camp counselor, but they were they were campers. Did you know the counselor? My brother. Okay. She's saying her bro- Jen's brother at the time went with this, the counselor. But they, of course, the counselor women, sisters, made a, a film about their dad called Disturbing the Universe. I know. And they did my... Yeah, yeah. I know. They were in touch at that time. They were? Yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt you. That's all right. I forget where I left off. Oh, you... With William Kunstler. Right. And, um... Who was was he Chicago based or he was? Well, he had been brought in as a an attorney for right. defense. Right, of course. Um, yeah. So that's so you met on that. You were interested, obviously, and here you saw this wonderful opportunity to really be immersed in in some real life drama, real life. Well, it was living. fascinating. Yeah. The trial was just fascinating, mm-hmm. and I I'm a lawyer's daughter. I'm interested in. What goes on in a courtroom, and this was high drama. Mm-hmm. And For uh, sure. at the end of it, um, a journalist from Newsweek, whom I didn't know very well, but I I liked, and we we would talk in the press box. But he called and he said, uh, "Come over to Nick Ray's house." And I said, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Just come on over. I'll send a cab." And that's what happened. I don't know why. This was in Chicago, too? Mm-hmm. That part? Okay. But I just did. so I'm not totally up base, you, by the time 71 came around, or 70, you guys were were a couple, mm-hmm. and you you did go with him to Binghamton. So you were involved I, I in I was in... You were there? I, I, I or, would visit him on... I would go be with him there on weekends, okay. and I also had a job in the city. Okay. So I I wasn't completely wrong in terms of that you were you were involved in the film that the yeah, students oh, made. Yeah, I was definitely involved in the film. <laughs> we'll get to that. 
So what did you know going back to 69 during the, the, the trial, during your first meetings with, with uh, the man who would become your husband? Did you, were you already familiar with his work? Not at all. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. Did you grow up around film at all much at the home and growing um, up? I, I watched films. I had seen a couple of his films without knowing they were his. Right. Yeah. Like the like Rebel, maybe. Or maybe Actually, was that even um, What year was that? Yeah, um, for sure it was. Oh, God, what was the title? Um, the one about Lusty Cortisone. No. <laughs> oh, uh, the uh, big, uh, Bigger Than Life. Bigger Than Life yeah. with James Mason. Yeah. yeah. I had seen that one, and I think I had Another seen Party one. Girls. Party Girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, maybe Savage Innocence. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. It's amazing. This Guys, you know, I don't know. Have you seen some of those times? Because, uh, yeah, one of the great filmmakers for sure. Was it, what was, um, by then, this is after he's now been in Hollywood making films uh, for the studios. Let's say, uh, when did They Live By Night come out in the... 48. 48? Okay. So 20 years, roughly, he's been roughly. making films. Yeah. So he's an icon of sorts. I mean, uh, what was his relationship with the studios? And what was his like? Had he already kind of, in some manner speaking, saw that he was not really going to be a conventional Hollywood director? Because he's very political. That didn't do well with authority of any authority. kind. Right. And that's all about uh, the pecking order. That was all about a, right, the oh, Hollywood no, system. No, I think it's about being able to create what you want to create, and not oh, freedom of of yeah, freedom right artistic of freedom. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, but it's also that yeah, and that system, especially those built on a certain amount of like you know, the big stars have a lot of power. The Hollywood moguls, the the studio moguls, have the power. But a director, very few directors, had an enormous that much power to kind of choose, like I was kind of getting back to, it's very different today where, you know, the depends like somebody like a Scorsese, you know, can, can sort of pick and choose the projects he wants to do and he'll, you know, he'll make them. But back then he, you know, Nick couldn't do that during, you know, those Hollywood years. I don't know. Yeah. Bottom line. I don't know. All right. Well, we brought I'll in another. For <laughs> I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. But uh, did did you guys talk about that? Did you talk in terms you... of what? I don't know. From like um, his his. Uh, I'm just curious. Like if he just trying to get inside his head a little bit. Like you know if, what 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 if uh, what his goals were during that period. It seemed like when he met you, and those years following, he took a real sharp turn. And started making these films with the students at Binghamton. He taught. They were okay. First of all, let me just tell people out there, maybe that literally listening, that back in the late '60s, even in the '80s, I mean, there was only a handful of film schools. Back in the '60s, there may not have been any. There were film classes, maybe a film department in a school, but there was, you know, it wasn't like there was the school of cinema like there are in many, many, many schools and universities now. So it's very rare. So he was hired to teach a film class and work on this project. And so he goes to SUNY Binghamton. And uh, it's like, it seems that like he just fell in love with the whole situation. From, 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 you know, my perspective, what do I know? 
but it seems like he finally felt like uh, he really dug these students and the kind of, you know, willingness to experiment and to take risks and to be artistic. You know what I mean? It just seemed like he seemed more, I don't know, maybe that was something that really turned him on, you know? That's my guess. I don't know. Well, he loved teaching and he loved young people. He did. But that wasn't new. That that was always the case. You okay. can see that in Rebel. Sure. That's a good point. Um Hmm. The situation at at Harper, it was then Harper College. Right, right, right. H-A-R-P-U-R right. College at SUNY Binghamton. Mm -hmm. Was a, a mixed one. On the one hand, he was glad for the job uh, and the opportunity. And as I said, he loved the kids. He loved teaching. The school administration was a... <laughs> Not thrilled. A challenge. Okay. Um, and, they... he, and he was a challenge to them for oh, sure. sure. Did they expect the Nick Ray they got? Or did they think they were going to get some buttoned up kind of profis? Well, you know, like old time Hollywood director. You know, maybe I don't like. I think they expected such an extreme version. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a good. I, that's what I would think. Because <laughs> he, uh, yeah. Yeah. He was. Uh, he blew a few fuses. <laughs> right, a lot too much too much too much power and electricity for their wiring, is right? Is that is that that's that's a way to put it? Well, you said it, you know, yeah. And what was it about him that that you connected with, or you know, and then vice versa? Well, I can't. Speak you were young and hot, of course, at the time. So there's that. Yes. I, there were a lot of women who were a lot hotter than I was. Well, that so that goes to his... Foolishness or whatever. No, I, well, I was going to say that there's his good sense, his good taste. That I he wasn't speak, superficial. I can't, can't know he was not superficial. And he liked women. He liked, sure? he liked strong women. He, mm -hmm. strong women. he wasn't threatened. No. Hey. No, he felt women were more imaginative than men and more courageous um, what I liked about him, I'm not sure I could have articulated all of it at the time. For one thing, he was funny, and he was, he gave me space to be in and to be full-sized in. He didn't need me to shrink down in order to make him more comfortable. He, um, it was a lot of fun to be with. He was, uh, he didn't repeat himself very often, which is something I respect in a person and don't come upon very often. Um, he was brilliant. He was, um, he felt like home to me. He was comfortable for me. And there was a bit of an age difference, obviously, so. Well, only 40 years. Ah. <laughs> age is a number. But did your parents have any? Oh, sure, they were. <laughs> I was essentially excommunicated. Oh, really? Yeah. He didn't get off the hook because he was a famous Hollywood director? No, he was a dissolute movie director. Mm -hmm. And I dropped out of a good school. I mean, where, 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 where were you going at the time? The University of Chicago. Oh, that's okay. That makes sense. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great which, school. Which Nick had dropped out of also 40 years before. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Well, there's some symmetry for you. 
I guess. And then was it, so how long were you together then? About 10 years. 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And until, did he pass away at the end of those 10 years? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're talking about, you met. We met in 69. He died in 79. 79. You're really good at math. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's um, a short time. Not when you're 18. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you were very young. No. Okay. So did that relationship kind of, after that, were you able to rebound from that? Well, I'm still here. You are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the Nicholas Ray Foundation. When did you start that and what was your idea behind it? And what, 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 where has it taken you? Um, it, we started it in, um, I think 2007 was when we incorporated. And initially it was to be the container for the restoration of Nick's last film called We Can't Go Home Again. Which I meant to bring up is the film that was shot by the students at Binghamton. Right. And which oscilloscope has distributed in right. more, most more recently, even though it was probably about 10 years ago, more and more. Well, they distributed it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I hope it's oh, okay. still in distribution. And I have a copy. I don't know. I was going to bring it and impress you, but alas. Alas. Yeah. <laughs> um, where was I? Sorry. Yeah, I keep interrupting you. Let's see, you were talking about... Uh, the, the, foundation. The, the foundation was was wanted to re- make sure so be responsible we, helping restore that or getting it restored. We finally got funding for this restoration and mm-hmm. um, organized it around Nick's hundredth birthday, and so it became part of a greater project that included a documentary that I made and um, a DVD and like that. Mm-hmm. And the film premiered at the Venice Film Festival in 2011, and then went to sort of traveled the world. What was that Both one? films. We Can't Go Home. We Can't Go Home Again was again. Nick's film. Right. No, we, no, I know. And yours was called what? Uh, don't Expect Too Much. <laughs> I like the title. Uh-huh. And where can one can one find that at this point? On Amazon. It's or, on Amazon. Okay. Or you can buy it from Oscilloscope. Don't go home. Don't, don't expect much. We don't. We don't. We we can't go home again. We can't go again. home again and don't expect are, too much. Oh, are they on the same disc? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Son of a bitch. Son of a gun. Well, it's Sorry. a two disc set. I don't have that. With lots of extras, by the way. Um, we do? With some footage that Nick shot that hasn't been seen and, and can't be seen anywhere else. Is this a bribe? No, I'm just no. kidding. You have some of this? You have these? It's in distribution. Oh, it is? It's Okay, I got to... F- well, I have to check my copy when I get home tonight, because I, you know, I pulled it out. Did you ever look at it? I w- <laughs> it's a fair question after this conversation. <laughs> uh, I did watch We Can't Go Home Again, but I don't remember seeing the documentary. Maybe the there disc I got. There should have been two dicks in... The- dicks, two dicks? Sorry. <laughs> I, the ble- well, there's one here, but but no, no. What, two discs. Two discs. And, and a, a little booklet. Uh-huh. I have... Okay, let me. I'll check. Okay. Let me actually. I'll call my uh, girlfriend now, and we'll call her. 
she's she's probably listening. She could text me uh, if she's home. Because uh, I'm curious to know. I don't remember a second disc in my copy, but, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't want to guess. But I, I remember having an oscilloscope. I do have definitely have the oscilloscope. Then there should be DVD of, of it. It's not the Blu-ray, I don't think, but it's the DVD. All right. And if I have a problem, though, I'll come back to you and I'll be sure. barking up your tree there, you know, here in Rhinecliff. Uh, when did you move to Rhinecliff, by the way? If I could take a slight detour. 2012. Okay. 2012. So, okay. And then, uh, and, and how do you find, you find, you obviously like it here. You've been here for 11 years. Yes. You, you, did you come from, the, you moved out from the city? No, I moved from across the river. I had moved oh. up from the city years before. Okay. So you were in Ulster County? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you find the uh, comparing apples to our apples here? Oh, no, do you, do you prefer I'm here? I'm at a different the... stage of life that makes a, yeah. a difference. Um, I, I, I like both places for Me different too. reasons. I like that. She has a very calming demeanor, doesn't she, guys? I find out probably very comfortable with you. And I had the same experience. I moved here, and I've always been... Like I went to Bard, you know, years ago, and then I came back up here a few years ago. And I lived in uh, near Red Hook, and I work in Red Hook. And then I met this woman, and we, you know, uh, oh, she did text me. Uh, what does she have to say? Let's find out, and then we'll come. And she's on the other side. Of, now, this, now, now that she's listening, I'll just, I could just, okay. The disc, she took a photo of the disc. Isn't she amazing, this woman? You're right. Look at that, Susan. Right there. It says yeah. on the desk, we can't go home again and don't expect too much. Thank you, too. And there's a second disc with supplementary footage. All right. Well, that I may not interviews have. interviews and... An, I love it. A porn film. Yeah. <laughs> Your mic's not on, by the way. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? He made a, a there he made a porn. Let's go back to the porn film. Yeah, he made porno. <laughs> I think this sounds vaguely familiar. He always wanted to make a porn film. He he mm-hmm. and he he made one in Amsterdam when he was oh, Okay. That's the perfect place. <clears throat> Excuse me. In less than less than good condition and the film mm-hmm. is called The Janitor. Okay. And and that, where was that in the scheme of what year are we talking about? Seventy four, I believe. Mm-hmm. It, well, yeah. So that was a yeah. His his last decade or so was, or last years of filmmaking, were a real change from uh, from obviously anything he had done in Hollywood. Uh, and he was really at that point. It seems as though, if I'm since I'm guessing, only one disc in the box. But uh, if um, if I'm, it's like now I have this time, I'm going to, I'm not in the Hollywood system anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to try to do anyway, what I want to do. And the, the, my visions, my goals now from here on. You know, it wasn't such a hard turn for him. He, he began in experimental theater and street okay. theater. Right. So he, and he was always a maverick. Yeah. And some of his experimentation in multiple image, for example, he was doing in, to the extent that he could, in Hollywood and in so, Europe. Yeah, don't worry about the background. We get we might have some background noise leaking. Don't worry about that. Okay. Yeah, and let me ask you, and thank you for being so open and uh, and and transparent about everything. 
Uh, and I don't know, do you, is this, is any of this difficult to talk about for you at all? Why would it be? I don't know, because, you know, he's gone for a while. It's, oh, I know, it's been a long time. I don't know. <laughs> okay, good. I don't know. And if I go anywhere where I'm not supposed to, you, you'll let me know, of course. I don't think there is such a place. Well, not after talking about Amsterdam, right? Uh, you, were in, you weren't there, though, in Amsterdam. Uh, not that time, no. Okay. <laughs> it's all right. So you went to being that you worked with these guys at the, uh, I'm sorry if I'm jumping around, but we'll tie it all together in okay. the last portion of the, of the conversation. But see, we went to Binghamton with him on weekend. You were there on weekends coming in. What were those years? Six, early seventies. 71. 71 to 73, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. And did that, go ahead, Jen. Please. I went to Binghamton. Oh, I'm oh. sorry. And I was, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I Younger. wasn't there then. But, but, <laughs> no. but there were, but Paul Reiser, there were, uh, uh, I can't Billy Baldwin, there were a bunch of people. But who, that sure. was in the 80s. 80s. Yeah. 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 So it's a, clearly a different time. But, yeah. but, um, but Binghamton was known for film and, and it's, maybe he was the person who kind of put Binghamton on the map. No, that's not true. That's Binghamton, not, oh, please at the me. time, Nick. <laughs> was Got brought there. to Binghamton. He was brought there by Larry Gottheim and right. Ken Jacobs. Ken were... Jacobs, of course, the granddaddy of, of experimental films. Well, maybe not the granddaddy, but one of the granddaddies. The great, great uncle or somewhere. But he's in the family tree. And, and he's, you know, the point, the most known. The point is maybe. that, that mm -hmm. at the time, yeah. Harper College was a hotbed of experimental film. And they brought Nick, not knowing that that's what they were going to get. Did they think he was going to bring more convention to the mix? I'm sure they thought he would bring some Hollywood mm -hmm. something. Right. Whatever. Some sensibilities. Access. Yeah, and say. access. That's a great way to put it. Of course, because, yeah. you know, he worked with all, all everybody. Everybody God. wants to be rich and famous. Right. <laughs> and they want to get some of that by osmosis. Yeah, possibly. However. Yeah. But boy, were they, he almost, he's like, no, 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 you guys, I want to do what you guys are doing and I want to take it as far as I can. And where does, so, so he worked and he must have loved these kids, right? He did love the kids. And they obviously were really just loved him. And, and then, so. They and, loved and hated him. And, and hated. Well, and, and so such a thin line, no? Why did they hate him? Oh, you're you're helping. Sorry. Thank you. No, no, please. <laughs> no, I miss so many. Okay. Yeah. Um, he. It's an obvious question. I think one of his skills, the way I think of one of his skills as a director, one of his greatest skills as a director, is he had a kind of um, shamanic gift where he could hmm. um, surface what was um, underneath and. Um, maybe verboten to mm. the holder. And uh, some people, it, it was an intense experience mm -hmm. and it wasn't always easy. Wow. I didn't expect that. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Where did Vim Vendors come into the picture? Vim was brought to our house by a French producer by the name of Pierre Cottrell, who uh, produced um, 
God, I think La Mère Laputin, and um, he was part of the French New Wave, mm -hmm. and he brought Vim to the house, and Vim cast Nick in The American Friend. Cool. I have a copy of that. Can you can we look at that? No, I'm kidding, but I do. I love that film very much. And I I I I love the the tapestry of all these films. Was was John Turturro? No, no, sorry, wrong guy. Not John Turturro. Who am I thinking of? I'm just having a senior moment myself here. We'll skip along. But I I love Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Well, there was a, no, not to, I didn't confuse those two. But in um, a young oh, of course, Jarm Jim Jarmish was he not in that too? Wasn't he like a kid at the, like a young guy who he working? Wasn't, he wasn't in the film. He wasn't in American Friend. He was a student. No, not in American Friend. I was thinking of uh, Lightning Over Water. Yeah, which is the Vin Vendors documentary that we're talking about now. I should have brought that up. But we, we weren't talking about it. <laughs> well, we were a little bit because I said when was Vin? Well, I mean that's where I was going with it. Hey, I just do this on the side. I don't even know what I'm doing here. You know, that's why I invite people like you here, because you make me look good, you know, and these guys. You're doing great. Thank you. If Lightning Over Waters. Vin Vendors made this film. So so explain, since I interrupted you yet again, how that happened. So so this produ French producer brought Vin. Well, I was talking about an American friend. And, Go ahead. And then from there, mm -hmm. Nick and Vim stayed in touch. Okay. And um, it was Christmas time, and there were a lot of people around the house, including a an experimental filmmaker named John Jost. Yeah, I know the name. And Jost claimed he could make a film for five thousand dollars. Nick was intrigued by this, and he would do any. He would have done anything to make film if Jost could raise five thousand dollars and get a good film started. Then okay, and then. Vim came on the scene and, well, if somebody's going to make a film with Nick Ray, it's going to be me. Mm -hmm. So uh, Jost was somehow eased out of the scene. And, oh, really? Mm -hmm. um, Vim took over. And it was supposed to be a collaboration, but of course Nick was sickening. He yeah. was getting He's, sicker and really, sicker. There it's was, hard to watch. There was, that. you know. <laughs> What years was it? Remind me. 1979. The film was begun oh, in 68. So he was dying, yeah. He was clearly dying. He was, I mean, we see this in the film. That, right. That, that's, it's no, it's not. And I just remember, I think Jarmish was like a, like maybe working on that set. If I'm not, I haven't well, seen it he, in a few years. As I said, he was a student of Nick's. Oh, he was. Okay. And, uh, and someone that Nick respected, and he brought him into the production. Mm hmm Yeah. I just, I love the, uh, um, sort of the, the hand, you know, what, I'm not sure how to describe it, but the, the kind of the, the handing off to the next generation. And I love how Nick also, even though he was steeped in this old Hollywood tradition, you know, or he comes from that, but he's also this guy who really is getting a lot out of working with these young filmmaking filmmakers or filmmaker wannabes, you know, kids who want to become filmmakers. And that that's so rare, it seems like, especially then, it just doesn't seem like it's so, so common a thing that somebody in Nick's position would have been so, um, I don't know, so invested in all these folks, you know. But it seemed like he really just fed off that, the youthful energy and the creative energy that was coming 
through these different people and channels, you know? It, it was a symbiotic kind of thing, yeah. Well, these are two, by the way, I think uh, anybody also I'm going to recommend should see that The Vendors documentary as well. I think it's a, a great film, Lightning Over Water. It had a real impact on me when I saw it, that's for sure. And it really, you know, like I, I just was like, this guy, he's just, lar he's just sensational, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, really, really I, that's part of the, my overall sort of fascination with, 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 with Nick Ray, you know? And so this has been fantastic. You oversaw this project as you were describing with your organization, the Nicholas Ray Foundation. And your, your first major project that you took on was making sure that, which was, uh, though we, we can't, can't go, go home again, again. got Restored, restored and reconstructed, and yes. Restored, maybe in the original vision that Nick had. Well. And that it was also preserved, right? Preserved, yeah. definitely. Right. And his original vision, first of all, his vision kept shifting. And it was blurry, probably, from all the booze and, at the time. And I don't know that I'm that's just, so. It's a bad joke. Oh. It's a bad joke. <clears throat> um, but he was drinking a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what after that project? That was great. You, in oscilloscope, thanks to them, got on board with that and their commitment to film history. It's fantastic. And and have there been other projects since of that size? or Not since, but there's one on the back burner. Okay. Can you, can't, can you talk about it or do you want to? I can. It's, okay. It's, it's, um, it's called Passing It On and it draws on... Nick's archive from essentially the, well, both his films mm -hmm. and um, an audio archive from the last 10 years, mostly from the last 10 years of his life, but also drawing on certain interviews um, and lots of interviews with his colleagues from the very beginning of his career, many of whom are dead now. We have them on tape. and For instance? So, oh, Ilya Kazan, John Houseman. Um, Orson Welles? No. Just thinking about another guy who might have been in that little group. Um, God, that... Uh, 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 I put you on the spot. It's just my aging memory, but... Um, uh, well, those are two very good examples, even though yeah. nothing really came of either of those guys, clearly, but... Uh, but he was very articulate about his craft, and, mm -hmm. and we have a lot of material. And uh, I'd like to put it together for multiple platforms, both um, an, an app, a uh, a series of um, right. short films on technique, and a a longer film that will trace his apprenticeship. Hmm. And, you know, you, you say there's lots of hours of this audio, so that could be also one of a podcast. Could be. Well, just, could be. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow, that's a tremendous project. Um, I think the time is ripe for it. I think there would be a, an, another wave of young folks as well as people like me who would be tremendously interested in that, hearing that, and, you know, just what a period, my God. You know, I mean, was Nicholas, was Nick, we're on a first, we're on a nickname basis, so. Was he uh, political? In a in a big picture sense, mm -hmm. he wasn't partisan, but he was 
He used to quote Abby Hoffman a lot, who said... Oh, right. He was friends with Kunstler, so he had to be somewhat political, you know. Well, yeah, and Abby Hoffman. He was making Hoffman. a film about, about the... Well, yeah, that film, sure. Um, and Abby used to say, what is, um, what is politics? Fuck politics. Politics is living. Mm-hmm. Mm, good point. And uh, I just asked, because like, uh, maybe the Elia stuff was earlier, but... I could see him having a problem with Ely Kazan's politics, you know, or choices. It wasn't, it wasn't, he was oddly unjudgmental. Oh, okay. Not so odd. He's an artist. Yeah. You know, and so is Ely Kazan. You know, and uh, also paved the way, perhaps, or, you know, maybe the two of them kind of paved the way for, you know, in terms of the kinds of films they were making. I mean, I got Ely Kazan, whatever you think of him personally can't argue that he did uh he wasn't a pioneer and icon i mean you know nick had a lot of respect for him yeah i imagine so well let me ask you as we start to wind down uh, uh and again thank you so much for for doing this thank you so for asking you. me and i want to keep up on all the things you guys are doing over there with the foundation so and that is like let me ask you well your what your personal favorite films of of his are or maybe they've changed over time I have an odd personal favorite, mm -hmm. um, Bitter Victory. It's a film with Richard Burton um, about um, the Second World War in Libya. And uh, to me, it's a film about manhood and courage, and uh, it moves me. And I find it very beautiful physically, um, visually. Mm -hmm. It's minimalistic the music is gorgeous mm. it's um great title too a lot of it takes place on the desert which is you know to see footage of the desert it's it's very abstract and very beautiful very sculptural roughly are we talking like late 50s or 60s yeah mm -hmm. 50s yeah, he was working with pretty big budgets by then. Uh, that's uh, not my area of expertise. Area of expertise. I just I was wondering uh, if it was after. That was not a. That was not a um, an extravaganza. Okay, right. I get it. But it was it. Um, it was after Rebel. I think so. Yeah. And what uh, do you know? And I I'm putting you on the spot because I know you're not a Hollywood his film historian and all that. I get it. But do you know at the time if Rebel was a big big hit because james dean of course was huge natalie wood huge i mean yeah i think it was a hit yeah it was a big hit because i'm wondering after that he might have had a lot more you know given bigger budgets well he was yeah i mean he made yeah. king of kings and, right and um jesus what's the other one um the two bronson films do you know <laughs> um, it's only a couple of taps on the keyboard away, this information, you know. But, uh, yeah. King of Kings and, and... Um, I should be better, I should be more help to you. Something to Peking. Oh, yes. yes. 55 days to 55, Peking. good enough. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, but maybe, oh, and, you know, you're making me think, possibly also after getting, you know, like into at that period, maybe he just thought he lost his his way a little bit because he always, he's making these big... He, he did lose uh, his way. And so then he wanted to get back down to basics again. 
exactly. and his starting, mm-hmm. right? It, like from his early days and as you said, experimental theater and where he maybe felt the most excited. That's right. And of course, meeting you in Chicago. <laughs> I have nothing to say. That. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, and, and do you still find yourself watching those films? I haven't been watching any films. Oh. Well, that's not true. I haven't mm-hmm. been watching many films for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, since really since lockdown, I really yeah, just a just a kind of cleansing while I work on another project. Mm-hmm. So you're really focused on this new project. That's like well, I'm I'm trying to finish a book, and I'm oh you are on that. yeah oh wow. So are you still in the you're still in the writing phase of this book? Well, it's not done yet. I get it. I mean, I, well, maybe you're editing or rewriting. I don't, you know. All of that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you could do that, I guess, as you go. That's true. And is this on something else? Hmm? Is this on something else? Completely. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. What's this? Give me a broad stroke. No? Okay. That's very fair. I'm uh, superstitious. I agree. I think that's good, you know. I, I should be more superstitious myself, probably. I, I don't know. Well, uh, it's this has been fantastic, and I, you know, if people want to learn more about the Nicholas Ray Foundation, there's a website. There is right, mm-hmm. so they can go. You can go there. Any other, any anything else you recommend in terms of somebody? And there's a wonderful book by a man named Benel Eisenschitz called uh, Nicholas Ray in American Life. Yeah. Oh, that's your. There's some. I think uh, Dana was talking about that. This uh, this person. Yeah, he's a he's a pretty well known film historian, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and I have a book of his, um, some of his journal entries and okay and uh, teachings and stuff, and a memoir that I wrote. That's it called. This is called. Um, I was interrupted. Nicholas Ray on making movies. Okay. Great. Well, okay. Well, thank you, Susan. And uh, when when this next project comes to fruition, let's let's do this again. We can talk about it. We can promote it and let people know that it's. Oh, uh, thank you. you know, thank you for asking me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. It's such a delight to meet you. Really nice to meet you. And I want you. Hopefully, you enjoy your dinner. Thanks to the uh, the people here at the Epicurean in Rhinecliff. This wonderful store. This wonderful has store changed the face of our. It has. I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah. Do you come all the time? To the store? Yep. I come pretty often. I thought I'd seen you before. I love this store. What? She likes to peruse. <laughs> I do some shopping. I do. Uh, what are your favorite items? I like the vegetable pot pie. Yeah. Mm, that sounds good. I like the blueberry muffins, mm-hmm. though I shouldn't have those. Um, Too many shoulds. Well, they make yeah. They make me fat. Anyway, it's a good store. Definitely come to this store. <laughs> I add at the end of your show here. Yeah, please do, please do. I mean, we should. I should have to give back. You know, this is a great uh, spot. I love the whole, all the intention of the of what they're doing here at Radio Free Rhinecliff. The people at this great store, the Epicurean. How many have, stores have a radio station in the back? It's a novel. About eight, 800, 900 <laughs> tops. Really? No, I don't know what I'm talking about. 
I'm just making it up, but but you know, I'm sure there's a couple, at least, you know. But this is, as you're right, though, they, they basically have, have donated this space to these guys to uh, produce this wonderful station and uh We're like squatters over here. <laughs> so, what do you have on tap for next week? Good question. Uh, next week, uh, well, I know we got um, this wonderful do- new documentary called Sam Now is coming out shortly. It's a beautiful story about, it's all on this film by this young guy who, when he was a kid, was given a camera and he would, his half-brother, half-brother, he would shoot his half-brother and the brother would create this alter ego character and, and, and called the Blue Panther. And they would, he would shoot, but they would take this Blue Panther and start putting him in real situations. And then they decided at some point to, when they were a little bit older, somewhat older, to seek out the younger brothers, Sam's mother, who had abandoned the family years earlier, and to, to go out and find her. And it's all about what happens. And it's this really incredible story. The name of the director is Reed Harkness, the older, the older brother who shot this. And he will be uh, guest? my guest. Fantastic. Yeah. And then some, maybe something else. Maybe something else. What? Is, is he local? No. No, I think they're in the Pacific Northwest, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds very zoomy. It would, it's, I did it. Yes. So we'll have that. And then, you know, I'm, of course, I, I've got my, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all, I'm all over the idea of bringing in another, doing, bringing in more local folks. That's for sure. I really get a lot of pleasure. This is great. As my, I love doing this live, although, you know, obviously they're, some of the mistakes stay in, but that's okay. Well, for the live broadcast, they can be edited. But the <laughs> no, warts and all, I say, warts we'll, and all. Leave everything in. Yeah, what the heck, you know? It's the true Adam. Maybe the thing where I said uh, he drank. Maybe that comes out. But but you know, it's all in the films. It's, it's in the films, it's and fun. and I don't think I left out with that the love that I have, and I you know. I understand he was somewhat tormented, obviously. You know, he, he this was generational. And that, by the way, this film, not to interrupt what I'm saying here, but I'm making a connection, that Sam now, it's about intergenerational trauma. And I feel that some of that is, you know, we didn't have a language for it back when Nicholas Ray was a young guy, but maybe he got some of that in himself. Susan Ray, thank you so much. Thank you. I really for m- having thank me. Thank you. Okay. Okay.